You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So why don't you guys bow your heads. Let me just read just a reminder to us. We've sung it. We've been reminded of it. We constantly need to be reminded by the gospel. But bow your heads and just listen to the words of David as he encourages us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Father, I celebrate with those here this morning with the life's, lives that have been changed through the gospel. Uh, by the Spirit, opening their eyes, uh, calling them to yourself. Uh, we have sung of our forgiveness, of our cleansing, of our, our washing, and, and really we get to celebrate today. And so I just pray as we talk about just a little bit of what baptism is, what it means, why we do it, Lord, may your church be e equipped but just encouraged that you are moving, that your spirit is alive, that he is that he is changing hearts, that he is opening eyes to the gospel, that eternities are being changed because of what Christ has done even, even today. And, I, and even today, if someone for the first time is here and, and gets the chance to hear about the, the love of Christ and what he's done, Lord, just draw them to yourself. May this be a great celebration. Help me again to be clear and just my brief explanation of what you have commanded us to do. Uh, by your spirit, fill me. For the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. This week, um, I went to the movies. A big movie was it playing in the movie theater. Um, some of you think I'm talking about the Avengers. I'm not, um, although I will go see that. Uh, the original Karate Kid was in the movie theater on Shawnee, and me and Greg Durkin, he was at first service, and like seven other people in Savannah went and saw it, uh, and it was awesome. I mean, it was like, it, I mean, if, you don't, if you've never seen the Karate Kid, it's it's. It, it was kind of sad because me, Greg, I'm 44, I think Greg's my age, he's like 43, and we knew the entire movie. We were like eight-year-olds, just like kind of re reciting the movie to each other. It was very pitiful and sad, but we had a blast. Um, but there's this great scene in The Karate Kid. If you've never seen it, you need to leave right now uh, because you're not, no, I'm just kidding. But there's this great scene where Mr. Miyagi has been training daniel son, Right? Uh, for four days in a row, and day one, it was, you need to wax on my car, so wax on, wax off, all right? And day number two is sand the floor, sand the floor, sand the floor, right? And day number three is paint the fence, up, down, right? And then day number four was paint the house. And at the end of day number four, Daniel's son is hot. He's like, man, all I'm doing is working for this dude. And so, you know, Mr. Miyagi comes home from a day of fishing, and, you know, Daniel's son lets him have it, and he's kind of mad, and he's yelling at him, real disrespectful, uh, and he says... Show me, wax on, wax off. And he's like, yeah, you know, and it's this kind of neat scene. He's like, my arm hurts. And he's like, yeah, he warms his hands. And he, you know, it's kind of cool, right? Whatever. I'm just getting nerdy now. Um, 
But what happens is he starts like throwing punches and kicks at Daniel's son, and he's all waxing the floor and sanding the fence and all these things, sanding the floor, whatever, you know, and painting the fence. And he realizes he thought he was wasting his time for four days, but he really didn't know what was going on. And after four days of kind of being his servant and waxing on and waxing off and painting the fence, he realizes it was more than just that. He actually was learning something. He was actually being trained even though he didn't think so, even though he was kind of clueless to what is going on. And what happens in the church sometimes, as we do things, we go through the motions, we're waxing on and waxing off, and we're painting the fence, and we're painting the house, and we really don't know why, right? We do a lot of stuff in the church, and we just assume, yeah, it's just what we do in the church, but we have no clue why. And that is the case with baptism, some of us have been grown up in church and we've waxed on and waxed off and we've gone through all the motions, but we have no clue why the church does it. And y'all, Jesus wants his church to know why. We are a church. If you're visiting, this is your first time here, maybe it's your 20th time here, I don't know. But we are a church. We don't want you to wonder why. We want you to know why it is we do what we do. We want you to understand from the beginning why we're waxing on and waxing off. Right? And so today, um, we're, we're just going to talk a little bit about baptism so you understand what's going on when you see it in a little bit and understand this if you've been in church all your life this is kind of normative for you if if you got to see this this ceremony so to speak through the eyes of a person that's never been to church before baptism for someone who's never been to church is super weird it's like a carnival where you're throwing the ball and the guy gets dunked you're like you guys do dunking booths at your church yeah we do that's kind of that's that's what it seems like so don't try to get outside your little christian little world bubble and understand that this deal is kind of weird to people that have never been in church. So if you're here and this is your first time you came to see your, your nephew, your best friend, your boss, whatever, get baptized today. We are weird, but not because of what you think. This is actually normal for us, okay? So, um, but un- you got to understand, this is, this, it's kind of a, a different deal. And I want you to understand why. And so to do so, we're just going to ask four quick questions, right? We're going to ask why, what, who, and how. And I know you, we got lots of folks from different backgrounds, and oh, I was this, and I was this, and I was this. Look, I, I'm not going to slam any other backgrounds, and I'm not going to kind of go real deep into this. If you want to have a discussion, that's fine. But what I want to do is explain to you, our people, why we do what we do. Uh, it's not, we didn't invent it. We've gone to the scriptures, and this is our best understanding of what baptism is and what it means. And I just want you to be able to walk out of here. We're trying, remember, on Sunday mornings, we gather to equip so that you, you grow, and then you go be the church. And so I want you to be equipped so you understand at least what we believe the scripture teaches about baptism, okay? So that's where we're going. Four questions. First question is, why? Why do we do it? And the answer, I think, is given in Jesus' what's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So Jesus is about to go back into heaven after the resurrection. He goes to the disciples. There's 12 guys there, or 11 guys, and there's about 100 other folks, men and women. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I, I'm in charge, right? And because I'm in charge now, go therefore and make disciples. There's one main command in this whole por- portion. It's to make disciples. The mission of the church, make disciples. How do we do it? By going, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them, training them, equipping them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. Okay, so the idea, Jesus says, I want you to make disciples, and one of the, one of the pieces of disciple-making is baptism. And so real simply, you say, why do you do baptism? It's because Jesus commands it. He tells us to baptize. Now understand this. Baptism 
does not make you a Christian. There is nothing magical. I'm going outside the camera. Sorry, balcony. There's nothing magical in this water. This is Savannah infected with E. coli tap water. The elders did not come in this morning and pray over it and do some sort of crazy thing. If I take this water and I throw it on a vampire, I have a wet vampire. There's nothing magic about it. So understand that, first of all. Salvation is a gift from God. It is it's grace of God. It is received through faith. Nothing magical about that tank. If someone tells you that baptism is required for salvation, they are lying to you. If they say, to be a Christian, you got to believe and be baptized. That is a lie. That is not scripture. I can take you to a thousand places, but the most simple is John 3, 16. God still loved the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Not believes and be baptized in him shall be have eternal life. It's very simple. Salvation is by faith. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not the gospel plus baptism. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says, God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Point being, that is not magic, but it is commanded, which is why we do it. Second reason why is it's, it's a proof that you are a Christian. It's an evidence. In the early church, entrance into the early church was baptism. Why? Because you were making a break with your Hebrew following family. I mean, most of these early churchgoers, they, they came from a Jewish background, going to the synagogue on Saturday, observing Sabbath, Ten Commandments. All of a sudden, now they're going to follow a Jewish carpenter and start worshiping on Sunday. And an entrance point into the community to show that you were serious was baptism, because now I'm making a break with the old. And you would probably be disowned by your parents. Much like if you get baptized in a country like Iraq or Afghanistan today, it's immediate break. It's the real deal you're in, right? So it's an, it's an example of, of those who are saved. And ultimately, it's following the example of Jesus. He was baptized at the entrance point of his ministry. He just follows his example. It's a way in which we take up our cross and follow Jesus, right? Making our faith public. So that's the, the why. What, what, is, what does it mean then, right? He's commanded it, and he... he it's a proof that a person is a follower, and, and we're following examples. So, so what's the significance? Right? What, is, what it really is baptism? Is, is a, it's an important question. And what we would say is baptism is a, is a symbol. It is a symbol, a visible, tangible symbol of an invisible grace. It's something you can see that pictures something else. A symbol points to something, Right? It is not that something. It, it points to something. It represents something. And so you have on your wall, some of you, in a nice little frame, it says, I did not graduate summa cum laude from Georgia Southern or whatever. A 2.0 and go, graduate, C for complete, right? D for degree, whatever. But it, that little frame picture is not, it's not ultimately what you did. It just represents some of you military, you got, you got ribbons on your chest or medals around your neck. And it's, that's, that points to something, something that happened, something that you did. It is a symbol. Some of you, you know, you have on your shelf a little, a little trophy you got when you're 12 years old. It's called participation trophy. Right? It means you showed up. Congratulations. You didn't win nothing, but you showed up. You got a trophy. It points to the fact that you showed up. 
right? It's not you showing up. That's a symbol. I got a symbol on my finger. This is my Citadel ring. Every senior at the Citadel gets this ring, right? It says class of 1996. If I take this ring off, did I still go to the Citadel? I did. I was there four years, four miserable, horrible, hot, sweaty, no air conditioned years. All right, I was there. All right, whether I wear the ring or not, I was there. If I put this ring on, on anyone in this front row, does that mean that they went to the Citadel? It does not. Because it's a symbol, it's a meaningless symbol unless it's on the right finger. That's what baptism is. Baptism is a symbol of something that happened. It is a symbol of an invisible grace. What has taken place spiritually in my soul, I am now showing that to other, others it's, it's so others can see. And God is a gracious and good father, and he wants this church to remember things. He wants to constantly remind his church of what he has done in the person of work of Christ. So he gives us tangible reminders because we are, you know, we're, most of us are visual. We need to see it. We need to constantly be reminded of it, like uh, me as a dad. I, when I, I, talk to my, I tell my kids things in nauseam. When my 17-year-old's about to go to school or about to go out, I say, buddy, drive safe. Constantly. I, I'll say, please guard your heart. Make wise choices. I mean, I, I say it almost every day because I want him to be reminded. And what Jesus has done for his church, he's given two tangible reminders for us. One we call the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. And, and it's something physical that you could touch it. And so the cracker comes down and you can say, oh, this is stale or this is not or whatever. But you can touch it and rub it and you can see it. And then you crunch on it. You hear your neighbor crunching on it. And you drink the, the little juice with grape juice or wine or whatever tradition you come. And it, and it pops in your mouth. And, it, and it's a tangible reminder of what? The blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Baptism is a physical, visual picture of the work of Christ. So these folks are going to go in this water, and they're going to go down in this water. It pictures the death and burial of Christ. And they're going to come out of the water, and it pictures the resurrection of Christ. It's a symbol of what he has done. And y'all, we need the reminders constantly. Just like, guard your heart, buddy. Drive safe, buddy. Make wise choices, buddy. Constantly, Jesus wants his church to remember these things. And there's three specific things that, that really baptism points to. I want you to grasp uh, what it points to, symbols. Number one, it points to the fact that you've been washed from all your sin. That you are cleansed, that you are forgiven, that because of faith in Christ, you stand before God or you will clean. Right, so Paul says to the Corinthian church, and this is not a good, these are, these are rough group, this is a rough crew, this Corinthian church. But he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and you could find yourself in one or more of those places, right? And such were some of y'all. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were Justified. All past tense, by the way, not future tense. You were, you were, you were in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit. That Jesus has washed you. If you have turned from your sin and put your faith in the gospel, Jesus has washed you clean. So when God the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. You've been washed. How good is that? How, how often do I need to be reminded of that when I am a knucklehead and I fail and I sin and I do this and on the way to church I'm yelling at my kids about how they need to 
be quiet in the back and, and I'm kicking the dog and, and, and then I'm going to come and sing to Jesus? How often do I need to be reminded of that my college years of just brokenness and drunkenness and all these things that I've been washed? That the mistakes of my past, that Jesus doesn't sit there and he, it's not that Jesus loves some future version of you that one day you will be, that he loved you as you were a sinner and so he cleansed you. That is what this pictures. Does, I mean, that's a huge thing for us, right? That we were enemies of God, now we've been washed. It pictures also that we have been united with Christ, that we are one. And so everything that is true of Christ is now is true of you. Not because you're good, not because you're southern, not because you eat grits, none of those things. It's because Christ has taken your place and he, he took your sin and you get his righteousness. It's a great deal. Right, that now you are one with Christ. So the New Testament writers, especially Paul, like 160 times, he talks about being in Christ, in Jesus, in the Lord, in him, all these times. It's a huge piece that your identity is now in Christ because of what he has done, that you've been united. And so we read it earlier, Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, that's a spiritual baptism, were baptized into his death, you were buried with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ... Just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you've been united with him in a death like his, you shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. The idea is, whatever happened to Jesus will happen to you. One day I'm going down. Right? I'm going down. I can live to 110. I can be like Methuselah and live to 969. It doesn't matter. Eventually, I'm going down. But because I won with Christ, not because I'm good, but because of my faith in Christ, what God did to Jesus, he's going to do to me. And I will come out of the grave six foot two forever. <laughs> right? Forever. That's like the perfect height, right? That's the idea. I am in Christ. Everything that belongs to him belongs to me. It's like, kind of like when you get married. When you get married, everything that's your spouse's is yours. Good and bad. Right? They got a sweet car. It's ours now. They got student loans. It's ours now. <laughs> Whatever is his is mine. I'm a son of God. Right? I'm not the son of God. I am an adopted son. I'm not deity, but I've been brought into the fam. Right? That's the idea. And, and it's a beautiful picture. It's pictured in baptism. Death, burial, resurrection. There's oneness. And the last thing is this. It pictures that there is new life in Christ. In fact, that's exactly what he says. He says, if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall be united with him in a resurrection. But before that, he says that we might walk in newness. Again, it pictures that I'm dead to the old and I'm alive to the new. It's not, that I'm an, it's not that I'm perfect yet. I will be one day, but I'm not now. But now there's a, it's a new me. The spirit of Christ lives within me. And so it's not just something new I do on Sundays. It's not just a new schedule. It's not new rules. It's I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are gone. Right? That's what this pictures. Something that happens spiritually at the point of faith, we're just, it's that symbol that we're living out now. So you are saying to everybody else, I am not ashamed of Jesus. I am dead with him. I am alive with him. That's the what. Why? Because Jesus tells them to do it, and we're following his example. It's a, it's a, it's a symbol of being a Christian. What, what is the purpose? It's the oneness with Christ. It's forgiveness in Christ. It's new life in Christ. Right? And so the question here then is, then who should be baptized? And this is where Christians start, right? A little bit of fighting, a little bit of sparring in the church. And it's not my goal to fan that flame, 
But here's what I say. Here's why we believe what we believe. And, and again, I know we've got tons of traditions here uh, and, and different reasons for different ones. Here's why we uh, believe that a person should be baptized after they have put their faith in Christ. We call it believer's baptism, right? Or credo is the fancy word that we won't ever use again. But it's believer's baptism, credo baptism. We believe it, that, that that is the model in the scripture for two reasons. Number one, because of what it symbolizes, the death, burial, and resurrection, being cleansed from sin, being united with Christ, newness of life. Who is that? Who gets cleansed from sin? Who has newness of life? Who is walking with Christ? Who's a follower? It's those who put their faith. I mean, it's even found in the Great Commission. It's make disciples. It is a follower of Jesus who is baptized, Right? That's, that's the idea. Um, the, it's a, a person who has repented of sin and put their faith in Christ who has newness of life. And so for us, that's, that's a big thing. But even bigger for us is that the model you see, the example you see overwhelmingly is that people, when, when you see they're baptized, they put their faith in Christ first and then they are baptized. Overwhelmingly in the book of Acts, which is really the only time... You get, even see it. And, and, and again, I could go through every single time in the, in the book of Acts. I won't, let me just give you a few examples. Uh, those who received, this is Peter's first sermon on Pentecost. Those who received the word, there's their faith, were baptized. And they were added 3,000 souls. 3,000 baptisms. Talk about a long service. That was a long service. Right? <laughs> 812. And they, believe, and they believe Philip as he preached the good news. And then they were baptized. Hey, in Acts 9, you can look at it there. I'm not, I don't have a verse for it. When Paul... He believes in Christ, the scales fall off his eyes, and he is baptized. Acts chapter 10, this is when the Gentiles kind of get in on the deal. They, Peter preaches a sermon, the spirit of Christ falls on them, they start speaking in tongues, and then he, Peter says, well, can we withhold water for baptizing these people who had received the spirit? By the way, they're already saved because they have the spirit, and then they go and baptize them. Acts 16, Lydia City of Thyatira, sell of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. She's an Old Testament saint. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized, her and her household said she heard saying, if you have judged me, be faithful. But what happens? God opens her eyes, she believes, and then she's baptized. Later in that very chapter, you get the Philippian jailer who hears Paul and Silas doing their little party downstairs singing. He thinks the earthquake happens. The gates are open. He thinks everyone's escaped and he's going to kill himself. He says, don't kill yourself, we're still here. He says, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your house. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all in his house. And he took them the same hour at night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. And this is one of the passages those who, who baptize babies will go to. See, they baptize his whole household. Here's the one problem with that. And I'm not going to argue about it, it's fine. But never, it doesn't say there was babies there. It just says his house. He could have been his Labrador for all we know. I mean, it doesn't say children. That's an assumption that you make, but it doesn't say it. What it does say is that they rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. There was faith. The household believed, and then they were baptized, right? And, and again, not going to argue, but just the, that's the model you see. Acts, Acts 8, 19. Paul's in Corinth. Corinth this is an interesting one because he runs into a bunch of folks in Ephesus he found some disciples that were disciples of John the Baptist, and they must have left before Jesus was crucified. So he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, uh, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism, right? And, and he said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people of the one who was to come after him, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized again. So here's a group of people. You're like, well, is there ever a need to get rebaptized? You got an example right here. These folks were baptized by John the Baptist. They'd never heard of the full gospel. Paul shows up. He preaches them the full, completed gospel. 
And then they're like, oh, okay. And they get rebaptized. You're going to see some folks today that are going to be, they'll be their second baptism. Because what they realize is I wasn't saved the first time. Right? And so it didn't matter. And their sin's still forgiven and all that. But they're going to come forward and put it after their conversion. Here, here's the point. For us, it seems that, that conversion takes place first and then baptism. Right? Overwhelming evidence is, is just, it's just the scripture. Put all your theology books aside and your creeds aside and all your traditions aside. Just read the, read the book of Acts and you tell me what, what the conclusion is. That's, that's all I'm asking. Right? And again, I'm not going to fight with anybody. I, don't, I mean, it's just not worth fighting to me. Right? It's a minor area of theology. Uh, my brothers and sisters, especially of the, uh, of the Presbyterian Anglican flair, right? they, they will baptize children. And I know why. I understand why. Because they see a continuity between the Old Testament and New Testament that's a little bit more continuity than I see. And so in the Old Testament covenant, how did you bring a young boy into the covenant community? You circumcised him on the eighth day. And so for the Presbyterian, that's, that's, that's typically why they will baptize infants. And I completely appreciate the continuity piece. Now, when we're talking about the Roman church... They understand they baptize infants for a completely different reason. They baptize babies believing it actually washes away sin, which is not a biblical idea. It is not the gospel. So when you see infant baptism in the Roman church versus the Presbyterian church, it's not the same thing. Understand that. Either way, this is what we believe at CBC, and this is why we do what we do. And we're trying to get back to the scriptures. If I'm wrong, Jesus will deal with me. But this, I'm just trying to take his word at where it is. Right? So that's why we do what we do. That is the who, those who have come to faith. Why? Because Jesus commands it. What does it mean? We're cleansed, we're washed, we're one. Right? There's newness of life. And the last question is how. And we would do what we call immersion baptism. Right? Three reasons why. Number one, the word baptizo, the Greek word for baptism, literally means to dip or immerse. So we're taking the entomology of the word and saying, well, this seems to be what the word means. Second reason is all the examples of baptism you see in the scripture... In the Gospels and in Acts, there seems to be immersion. So when Jesus is baptized, it says, immediately he went up from the water, not from the sink, right? Not from the Dasani bottle, whatever. He was down in the water, John the Baptist baptized him, and then he came out of the water, right? In John 3, John is baptizing at Anon near Salem. Why? Because the water was plentiful there. If he was sprinkling them or just pouring a little bit on them, he doesn't need plenty of water. He just needs a little bit. So this seems to be what John's doing. Even in the uh, Ethiopian eunuch in Philip, he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water. He baptized them, and they came out of the water. So this is the mo- and these are the only couple examples we have, but this seems to be the model of the early church. This is why we do what we do. Again, it's not wrong if you were poured over, you know, whatever. That's fine. We, we, I'm not going to mince words. It's not like, oh, it didn't count because you were sprinkled when you were 23 instead of... That's not what we're saying, but that's, we're just trying to get as close as we can to the New Testament... That is why we do what we do. That is who we do it to. Um, and, and, and this is kind of just our understanding of the, of the scriptures in its kind of plainest, uh, simplest meaning, right? That, that's why we do. That, want you to know why we're waxing on, waxing off. Why we're painting the fence, right? Why we're painting the house. Why do we do baptism? Jesus tells us to do the part of disciple making, right? What does it symbolize? Cleansed from sin, one with Christ, new life in Christ. Who? Those who are followers of Jesus. From age 7 to 77, you're going to see, I think this service, a couple kids, you're going to see some, some older. That is those who have put their faith in Christ. How? We're going to dunk them. Right? We're going to dunk them hard, some of them, right? Make sure it sticks. But we'll be gentle with the sweeter ones. But we're going to, you know, we're going to hammer the harder. But that's what we're doing. And that's why we celebrate. 
It is a picture that, yo, God is saving people. God's gospel is spreading. His church, the gates of hell are not prevailing. And we've seen lives changed. We've seen eternities, eternal destinations. And look, if you're not a Christian here this morning, God has brought you here because he loves you and he wants you to know his son. And he wants you to understand that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, but Jesus came to make you alive. And if you turn from your sin and put your faith in him, you can have eternal life too. And then we'll dunk you with, a, with fervor or gently, whatever you request. Uh, but we just want you to know him, and we're glad you're here. So we're going to sing a couple songs. You're going to hear a couple testimonies. You're going to cheer real loud, right? First service woke the neighborhood up. You're going to wake him up again, all right? So cheer and sing like a God, to a God who is resurrected and who is saving souls. And if, you, if you're getting baptized, you can hang out for a song or two. Um, you'll have some time. Uh, but by the third song, I'd be kind of, I'd be jetting in the back and getting changed uh, and getting ready to, do, to go through with this thing. So let me pray. Why don't you guys stand and we'll worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have given us reminders of your grace and your mercy, tangible reminders of what you have done for us. I pray that your church would be encouraged by it. I pray your church would be uh, just renewed in its fervor for evangelism and telling people about Christ. Uh, be honored as we picture your gospel, Lord Jesus, of what you have done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.